0: I want to encourage you, write those dates down, May 20th, 21st. I'll have more information next week about how you can register for that event. This morning, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. We started this message last week, and this is actually the second part to that message. So if you weren't here last week, you missed the first part. That's okay. Okay. I'll talk about that in a second. You can actually access that part of the message or any of the messages from Sunday morning on our website. If you go to our website under the Members tab, our website is summitbiblechurch.org, and you, go, you click on the Members tab, there's actually a password you have to enter, but it's not secret. It's in the bulletin. On the top right-hand side, it's simply 2010 Summit Bible. So if you forget, it's on the inside of your bulletin. And then you can listen live right there. It streams the the message, or if you podcast and do such things, you can also set it up for that. So I would encourage you, if you did miss it, to check that out. So this morning, by the way, I didn't mention the page number. It's 842 if you're using one of those blue Bibles. In his book, Instructing a Child's Heart, Ted and Margie Tripp have a a chapter titled Getting from Behavior to the Heart getting from behavior to the heart. In it, they say that we as parents, and maybe you can relate to this, in regard to our children, are tempted to focus on the behavior that requires correction, sometimes immediate correction, rather than the heart issues that are at the source of the bad behavior. In other words, what's causing that type of behavior? As an example of this, they record a conversation that they had with a dad who used a shut-up jar, a shut-up jar at his home to try to change his kid's behavior. So I'm going to just tell you what the conversation was. They asked him, so what is this shut-up jar? He says, quote, I got so tired of hearing my children say shut up. I told them whenever they say shut up, they must put a dollar in the jar. What happened? In two weeks, we had $100. (laughs) $100, that's a lot of money. Yeah, I know. My wife and I were putting some money in too. A couple of weeks passed and no one was saying shut up. So I figured we learned our lesson. Friday night came along and I took the family out for pizza, movie, and an ice cream. We blew most of the $100. What happened then? You wouldn't believe it. Within two days they were saying shut up again. The authors of the book had this to say about that particular story, and I'm just going to quote them. What was going on with these children? Had they experienced heart change? No. All that had changed with these children was their behavior. Once the external force manipulating their behavior was removed, which was this $1 fine for saying shut up, their behavior reverted right back to the natural expression of their hearts. This dad had been successful at controlling behavior for the moment, but the children had not been moved an inch in the direction of loving God and loving one another. Beloved, outwardly complying with rules might give the appearance of obedience but it does not necessarily mean that a person's heart has been changed at all. Behavior modification through enforcing rules or creative manipulation or guilt is like mowing down the weeds in your backyard, thinking they are gone for good, only to see them all popping back up the next week. It is incorrect to think that someone is good Or even good with God because they adhere to some external requirements, even religious ones. Like the dad with his shut-up jar, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were confused and blind to humanity's real problem. They wrongly believed that what their people needed to remain in favor with God was more external regulations. But God's concern has always been the true condition of someone's heart. God takes no delight, beloved, in a covert rebel who outwardly appears compliant or well-behaved. If you're there already, Mark chapter 7 We'll be reading through 23 verses here, but we'll be dealing with the last section because we dealt with the first section last Sunday. Follow along as I read Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, that is Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. As it is written, this people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. In vain do they worship Me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, On your father and your mother. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Verse 20, And he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Last week we examined verses 1 through 13 and talked about the first sinister symptom of man made religion. By the way, just by way of reminder, there's an outline on in the inside of your bulletin, left-hand side, that you can follow. We'll be looking at the second point today. Last week we looked at the first point, the first sinister symptom of man-made religion, seeing how it invalidates God's righteous Word. Last week, by setting aside God's commands and elevating human traditions or teachings to the place that only God's instructions should occupy in a person's life. That's what we looked at last week. As I said, if you didn't, if you weren't here, check it out on the website. You can get it there. This week, we're going to focus on the remaining part of this section, verses 14 through 23. And we're going to consider now the second sinister symptom of man-made religion so that we might abandon any traces of it in our lives. First, let me remind you of a few things from last week. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes, have already been shown in the book of Mark, as we've been going through it, to be hostile towards Jesus. That means they don't like Him. They hate Him. Mark chapter 3, verse 6 and verse 22. They made a journey from Jerusalem, which was the center of Judaism. Judaism being the religion of the Jewish people. That was the hub of Judaism. The boys came down, the leaders came down to Galilee for one purpose, to spy on Jesus and his disciples, because they had heard all the rumors about this Jesus and what he was doing. While they're spying and watching him, they see that Jesus' disciples were not complying with one of their religious traditions or behaviors. In this case, the ceremonial washing of their hands before eating and we talked about that last week, so I'm not going to talk about it now. But basically, to sum it up, the religious leaders taught that this ritual was necessary to remove any defilement from their hands that they, they may have picked up by touching something or someone considered unclean, quote, or ungodly. For example, a Gentile. So if they came into contact with a Gentile in any way, or even something that a Gentile touched, secondary contact, That would, quote, defile them, make them unholy or unclean. The ceremonial washing, they believe, would keep their food from being defiled, okay, because the hands are touching the food, and prevent the unthinkable internal defilement from consuming that food. That's what's going on. That's the tradition. It was unthinkable because defilement was seen as a barrier or wall to worshiping God or having true fellowship with God. So this was no joke. It was serious. So here come the religious leaders. They confront Jesus about this by questioning Him, really trying to shame Him openly in verse 5 by saying, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Jesus responds to them with some very harsh words in Scripture, identifying them as hypocrites who were practicing or pretending, I should say, to love God and whose worship, he says, Jesus says, was worthless. Worthless. No value. Since it did not come from their heart. It did not come from their heart. It was only external in nature. He answers the first part of their question regarding the tradition of the elders in verses seven through 13, which we discussed last week at length, and then he answers the second part of their question about eating with defiled hands in verses 14 through 23, which we're going to look at right now. So look back at the text, chapter seven. We'll just read the first two verses, 14 and 15. So he's dealt with the first part of the question the Pharisees brought to him. Now he's going to deal with the second. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, listen up, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Defilement, beloved, being unclean, impure, or polluted in God's eyes, listen, was not something Jesus dismissed as being irrelevant or unimportant. He's not saying that their concern about defilement was not a legitimate concern. He says himself, there are things that defile a person. So it was not wrong for the religious leaders to talk about or raise the issue of defilement with Jesus. What was wrong was they failed to understand how true defilement actually occurs. That's where they got it wrong. Having gotten this wrong meant that their solution to that problem would also be wrong. Their man-made solution, in this case, ceremonially washing anything that came into contact with their food, and this brings us to our point, ignores humanity's real problem. It ignores it. Which, according to Jesus, had nothing to do with what they were putting into their bodies, but everything to do with what was coming out. What was coming out. Man-made religion, which is what I am calling the rules, that the teachers of God's law over time, and we talked about this last week, had added to God's commands, ignores humanity's real problem because it focuses on external behavior. It focuses on external behavior. Listen to what one writer says about verses 14 and 15. Jesus, quote, attacked the delusion. The delusion. This, it's a ridiculous to think this. The delusion that sinful men can attain to true purity before God through the meticulous observance of religious ceremonies, which are powerless to cleanse the defilement of the heart. Did you get that? Powerless. In the Pharisees and scribes thinking, in order for a person to be considered holy and acceptable to God, they only had to behave in a certain way. Do all the right things. Which meant outwardly complying with God's law. And in order to make sure that happened, many man-made religious traditions and rules were added to God's law or commands, acting like fences to theoretically keep people from even the remote possibility of violating God's commands. The religious leaders were operating under the assumption that defilement worked its way from the outside to the inside. Hence, the focus on external behaviors rules and regulations, ceremonial washing in this text, believing that somehow that would prevent internal defilement. The problem is their focus was entirely wrong, according to Jesus. He says in verse 15, look at it again the latter part, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And he repeats it again in verse 20. What comes out of a person is what truly defiles him. Turn to the left, to Matthew chapter 23. Page 829, if you're using one of those blue Bibles. Looking at verses 25 through 28. Hear the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he speaks again to the religious leaders of his day, the scribes and Pharisees. These are his words. Woe to you. That's something you should. When you see woe, it's like you need to pay attention. This is serious. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. But inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Stop right there for a second. Do you think Jesus is giving them washing instructions for their eating and drinking utensils there? No. He's talking about their souls, their hearts. You focus on these cups and dishes and cleaning the outside, all the while inside you're totally defiled, filled with greed and every type of self-indulgence. You know what you should have been focused on? You and the inside of you. And if you would have cleaned that first, the outside would naturally be clean. You've got it backwards. He goes on, verse 27, Woe to you! In case you missed it the first time. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs. These are burial tombs. Which outwardly appear beautiful. They were ornately decorated. But within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. The image of that, Jesus is saying, is what the Pharisees and scribes were. You look pretty on the outside. Brilliant. Beautiful. But inside you're, you're filled with all types of uncleanness. Defiled in every way. 28. Just in case they missed it. In case they didn't understand. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others. But within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Lawlessness. You appear this way to others. Beautiful, wonderful, righteous, All the while, death is going on inside. John MacArthur says, The Pharisees lived their lives as if external appearance were more important than internal reality. A lot of people live their lives that way today. A lot of religions promote that, actually. From the outside, they look good, faithfully performing tedious religious rituals in order to supposedly maintain their holiness and purity. But inside, they were filthy and corrupt. Let me illustrate this for you if I can. The religious leader's attitude and actions are like a person who has toxic mold behind their walls. You guys familiar with toxic mold? It used to be a big deal. They don't talk about it too much, but it's still out there It It's usually, typically, for a while, can be hidden behind your walls. It's toxic because the spores it releases go into your lungs and poison you, potentially making you sick and maybe even killing you. All the while this is going on, typically people don't even know it's happening until eventually the the mold maybe works its way outside on the walls where you can see. This is what these guys are like. Contrary to the truth, they are convinced like like people that are living with toxic mold this would be the picture people living with toxic mold those people are typically convinced that their living space is clean okay it would be like this they don't see it it's in the walls it's poisoning them but as far as they can tell everything's nice tight and dandy right and they don't want to get sick so they work really hard to make sure that nothing enters their home that might pollute them. So you know what they do? They put filters on their water that's coming in from the outside. And they make sure that everyone comes into their house, leaves their dirty, nasty shoes outside of their house. Because, you know, they bring stuff in on that. Like doggy remains and such. And they ask visitors to put antibacterial soap on their hands before they touch anything. I mean, obviously this would be extreme. But it's like that. However, the real threat to their health is not what might come into their home from the outside, but what already exists and is living inside the very structure of their house. That's what this is like. And that, my friends, is the real problem with man-made religion. Because it avoids or ignores the real danger to humanity. The danger that exists within the human heart. Right here. Right here. Look back at the text. Mark chapter 7, verse 18 through 23. And he said to them, all these evil things, all of them, they come from where? Where do they come from, beloved? What does the text say? Within. And they defile the person. Man-made religion ignores humanity's real problem because it focuses on external behavior and, two, and this is huge, neglects the sins of the heart. Focus on external behavior. Just do this and do that, and you'll be fine. And never address the real issue that every human being has on this planet—the sins that spew out of their heart. Now, before we look at this this second point, neglects the sins of the heart. Let me point out a few things in the verses that we just read, 18 through 23. Jesus is now responding to the disciples. He's he's addressing the disciples who were a little confused about the statement that He just made in verse 15. Because He simply says this, there is nothing outside a person that by going into Him can defile Him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile Him. And the disciples were like, huh? Because without having the further text, it might seem a little strange. What exactly is Jesus talking about? Now I want you to look back at the original question that Jesus was asked by the religious leaders. Look back at Mark chapter 7, verse 5. Here is the original question. They said to him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Eat. Eat with defiled hands. Jesus' statement in verse 15 was addressing the latter part of their question about eating food with defiled hands. Hands that had not been ceremonially cleansed. The religious leaders were saying it is wrong to eat food that might be defiled. That's what they're saying. Verse 15, His answer is Jesus' way of saying that food cannot defile someone. And additionally, He goes on now to identify the true source of their defilement the true source. You think it's food that's been defiled by your dirty hands that have become dirty because they've touched something ungodly or unholy? No. That doesn't make sense. Food has no way of doing that. It has no way of defiling you. Here, let me tell you what does defile you. That's what he's doing. And he begins to point out the obvious in verse 19 that we just read. That when food enters the body, he's going to give him a a physiological kind of just explanation here, guys. Listen. It's just simple with them. When food enters the body, it goes into the stomach. After the food has been processed, the body processes the food and removes all the energy and fuel that it needs from that food, any leftovers, we're all very familiar with how this works, are eliminated or expelled from the body. Right? I don't need to say more about that. The point is food never enters the heart. And when he says heart here, he's not talking about the organ that beats in our chest, that red thing or purple thing or whatever color yours might be based on your health. (laughs) But he's talking about the control center of a human being. When they say heart, It's the control center of a human being. It's it's the root of man's intellectual, emotional, and volitional life. His will. Including his moral life. It is the center. In other words, food has no way of making someone defiled. Meaning, morally corrupt or unclean. Since it has no contact with a person's moral center. Their heart. One writer says it this way, all this is a physiological process which does not require any moral reactions of the inner spiritual man, hence, therefore, cannot morally defile. Just to say it another way, your moral center, your heart, does not interact with the food that you put in your mouth. So Jesus' explanation revealed the worthlessness (laughs) of, the utter worthlessness of the Pharisees and the scribes, intense concern over ceremonial hand-washing. But Jesus was not done explaining in verse 15, or about verse 15. Look back at the text, chapter 7, verse 20. We're going to read it again. And He said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, where is within? Within. What does the text say? Out of the heart of man, that's the within. Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy. It does not mean you have not internally sinned against God if in your heart you have a sinful desire to commit that adultery. Ugh oh, Wow. See, it's easy for us to hide our hearts from one another. I have heard people say, beloved usually unsafe people, usually, that it is okay to think about something bad as long as you don't actually do it. Fantasize. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to think on those things as long as you don't actually commit commit the act. Is that biblical? Beyond that, our lost culture tells us again and again that most people, generally speaking, have a good and wholesome heart. In fact, we are encouraged to listen to our hearts. There's songs. I will not sing them, but there are songs that use those exact words. And to follow your heart. There are many Disney Movies that use this exact verbiage. So beautiful. (sighs) But that is in direct opposition to what God has said in His Word. In Jeremiah 17.9, the prophet says the heart is deceitfully wicked and sick. Sick. Messed up. It is out of the heart, Jesus says, that all these evil things pour forth and defile us before God. Man-made religion compounds this problem because of its focus on the things people do versus what is actually going on within someone's sinful heart. One writer says, a religion that affects only the hands but never touches the heart is worthless. I say amen. Man-made religion, beloved, produces worthless worship to God. Its emphasis on compliance with external religious behaviors takes the attention away from what a person should really be concerned about. Their heart. And as a result, people are deceived into thinking they are okay with God, while their heart continues to pour out all different kinds of evil. Christians, beloved, are not immune to the sinister symptoms of man-made religion. We often fall into the same unfruitful trap of that dad with his shut-up jar, focusing on external behavior And ignoring our heart issues. It's funny, that book was written for parenting, but I have found in reading Ted Tripp's books that they're actually speaking to me. I might do that with my kids, I do the same thing with myself. So here are a few examples of how we do that. Here are a few examples. Of how we fall into the trap of focusing on the external and ignoring the internal, which is the real problem that you and I have. Isolationism. Isolationism. You can just take mental note of these. Isolationism is the idea that Christians should avoid the outside world, avoid it altogether. So some go as far as moving to a compound where they can be surrounded by other Christians and never come into contact with non-Christians. You know, the ungodly people. The ones that if you get too close to them, they will defile you and make you unholy before God. Some people don't actually move to a compound, but they live compound-like lives. So, this is what happens. I've seen it over and over and over again. Christians, people become born again, they come into community, the church community, and it is a wonderful place to be. It is, it is good to be with other Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, no doubt. But then something happens in the thinking that if they still reach out to non-Christian people, engage them, that they'll somehow... Be defiled in some way or, or be led astray. Church, beloved, who's supposed to go out into the world and infiltrate those dark corners and bring light to them? And the real issue is, you know what? Your problem is not them. Your problem is you. You want to worry about defilement? Good. Good then soak up the Word of God, be close to God, walk close with your Savior, and you can walk in darkness and still be a light. There is wisdom in such things, obviously. But the church has cut itself off from the world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9-11, through 11, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Verse 10, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. What he actually says then in verse 11, which I don't want to go through this whole text, is what I was telling you to do was not associate with a brother, another Christian, who is walking unrepentantly in these things. Those you should disassociate yourself with. And he has his reasons. You know what we do? We do the exact opposite. We'll continue to associate with a Christian that's living a totally pagan life. But then we don't have anything to do with the ungodly. Isolationism. Isolationism. Just remember, Jesus hung out with the ungodly. That's where He spent His time. And somehow, he was never influenced to sin by such things. And I know he was God, and I know he was perfect. But if you're born again, you have the very Spirit of God living inside of you. And he gave you that for a reason, that you might light up this dark world, not by running from it. Legalism. Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through outward obedience to God. I'm going to say that again. Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through outward obedience to God. It is called, another thing it's called is performance based Christianity. He says each one should give as he has decided in his own heart. And Not reluctantly or under compulsion, not someone breathing down on your neck, telling you, you got to do this. You want to be right with God? You better do this. Meaning that if you don't do that, you're not right with God. That's not what the text says. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. You know what type of giver that is? It's the one that says, in my heart I have been changed and I desire, in many ways, money being one of them. Just one of them. Although it seems like that's what everyone focuses on. It's just one of the ways that I give back to my Lord. And I do it with joy. My heart has been changed. If you put into the plate and you're hating every minute of it, keep that money. I know, most people don't say that, huh, Senior? I've heard the exact opposite. Give it anyway! Uh, No, don't. Don't. Because you're training yourself. You're training yourself in external compliance to the law, in ritualism, in, in legally. You're training yourself to not deal with your heart. Deal with your heart. And the last one is ritualism. That's devotion to rituals. Uh, Here, let me see if I can... If I haven't hit you yet, let me see if I can now. Singing to God with your mouth, but not your heart. Huh? So the words come up on the screen. Jason, every week, man, he's doing his best to to kind of draw us in because we come here and I know what it's like from a messed up week most of the time. It's just stuff. It's life. Then you're supposed to just come in and you know flip the switch so he's trying to bring us back and sometimes it's difficult it is difficult i would i don't know about praying before you come listening to christian music before you come trying to get your mind right before you come but sometimes people are so rushed to come to church and kids don't listen and everything's going on the husband and wife are yelling at each other and they walk in yeah we're so glad to be here we're ready to worship the lord So this is what happens. We come in and we sing to God with our mouth. Our heart is gone, man. It's gone. It's it has bitterness from that morning's events. It's it's thinking about what it's going to do next week. It had a hard thing last week. It's ritualism. It's focused on external behavior. You know what? If you can't, if your heart's not there, stop for a second and pray to the Lord. Just right there where you are, pray to God that He would work inside of your heart, that that you would be overwhelmed by who He is and what He has done for you so that when you sing, it's heart-generated singing. And then we won't have any trouble hearing you. Would that be helpful, Jason? How about this praying to God with your mouth but not your heart? You ever done that? You know how we pray or you're supposed to pray before you take your food, you know? I tell you right now, I far, I, I catch myself, just going through the motions. Yeah, God. Father, thank you for this food. So glad you gave it to us. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Let's eat. That's ritualism, beloved. He says in Matthew seven six, we just or Mark seven six, we just read it. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. One more. How about smiling and embracing someone with a handshake or a hug but not your heart? Huh? You know what will totally make this place like, like no other place? Make it distinct and stand out? It's people that have through the week been coming before God and asking God to, to expose their heart to them, to reveal the sin in their heart and they're confessing it and they're turning away from it and they're not just doing it once. I wish it was only once. But they're doing it over and over and over again and they're putting off the old man and they're putting on the new man so that when they show up to the corporate body of Christ to celebrate and worship our great God and Savior, people know there's something different. It's not fake. It's not... In the flesh, it's not, I'm going to, I'm so glad you're here, brother. They know. They know because now you look. I look at you, I look at you, I look at you. I see now, I see now the one for whom Christ laid down his life. He shed his blood for you. You're important to me. He shed his blood for me. And he has united us together in the same body. He has made you my sister. He has made you my brother. Forever. That's different. That's different. So this morning we're going to take communion together. And this is another area, beloved. where we can treat it ritualistically. Just listen. I know you're getting ready to take communion, but 1 Corinthians 11, just listen. This is after the communion instructions. Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself Then and so, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. One way we take of this communion meal in an unworthy manner is we do it flippantly. This is just another church thing that the church does. Just another thing. So, when we pass the elements... What we, what we desire for you to do is to examine your heart before God. The elements will be passed out in a moment. I'll sit down. They'll pass all the elements out. Obviously, this is for believers. So if you're not a believer you're not sure, don't partake. It's not your meal. But if you are a believer, it is for you. It is. But before you take, before we take together, make sure you're not just going through the motions that you understand that what this represents is that Christ, God's very Son, laid down His life willingly as a substitute for me, for you, for my sins. He became the sacrifice. He took the guilt that I had. He took every ounce of it on the cross as His Father poured out His wrath the wrath that I deserved upon His Son. And when we partake, beloved, you know why we do it together? I've said this before. I just want to remind you. We wait and we take it together as signifying our unity as one in this body of Christ. You might be a leg or an arm or an eyeball or a foot all part of the same body. So, just a practical application. If you're holding a grudge against someone in the body, unforgiveness, bitterness, that's not appropriate. That's not an appropriate way to take this. You're totally missing the point. Then you're you're taking it. You're saying unity. You're taking it and saying forgiveness of sins. That's got to... That's got to be real for you from the inside. So during that time when the elements are past, that's a time for you to pray. Ask God. Because our hearts are deceitfully wicked, which means that they deceive us. And we continually need to go before the Lord and ask Him, Reveal to me any unclean way, Lord, that I may confess now before You and have forgiveness because of Your Son, Jesus Christ, and take this meal with delight and joy in all that it means. So just the elements will be passed. I'm going to pray now. Wait till they're all passed out. I'll come back up and we will partake together. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for... I do thank you for this memorial meal that your Son instituted on the night the eve of His crucifixion. Father, I thank you that it is a good way for us to remember what He did for us, what He has accomplished and the reality of our unity now as one body, brothers and sisters in Christ being placed into that body, Jesus Christ, through faith, through your Spirit. And remembering that He is coming again. Returning for us to complete the good work that He has started. Father, help us because we forget. Or, we don't even care sometimes. Or, we're so caught up in other things. Or, we're just going through the motions. Father, we don't want to be those type of people. We, we don't want You to say of us that You honor me with Your lips, but Your heart is far from me. So Father, work in our hearts now that our worship to You would not be worthless But it would be something that you rejoice in, that brings you honor, that delights you. Bless these elements, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.